Is it possible for a human being to flourish? Is it possible for a woman or a man to be deeply satisfied in their being? The world uh, answers and attempts to answer that question in, in, a, in a wide variety of fashions. Jesus' answer to it was yes. How? By being born again. What does it look like after a man or a woman is born again? Internally and externally. One of the most challenging things to explain about Christianity, I think, is how it's not a religion in the way that we typically think of religion. We typically think of religion as I do this and God is happy with me. And Christianity is no, when we realize what's been done for us, we are happy in a deeper sense perhaps than most of us would define the word happy. And then we respond to that out of love. And we're like, no, it's the same morals. They are the same morals, but they're so different because they flow out of what we receive through no work of our own. Can a human being flourish? According to Jesus of Nazareth, yes. How? By confessing that he's the Christ, like, like Peter and others, by trusting him with our heart and decisions, and then putting our faith in him. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to describe this as building a house on the rock, not on the sand. What does it look like, though, after someone has given allegiance to Jesus and put their faith in him? And he opened his mouth and taught them, I'm in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like for someone to be deeply satisfied? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unlike other lists in the Bible that are not the... The other lists in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, other sections of Scripture that list things to avoid, that are destructive, and things to pursue that are life-giving, these build upon one another. So a man or a woman puts their faith and trust in Jesus of Nazareth. What does it look like not only in their behavior, but internally? In fact, more important internally. You see, the religion that people heard even then, even the religion that Jesus was more fully explaining, sounded like behave, which is why the other side to the beautiful attitudes, the beautiful ways of being in the world are the woes. You know, the woes, not like whoa, but like woe, bad, curse. Is that a decent description of woe and woe? This is where my Midwestern accent really fails me. I don't know how to pronounce differently an E or a W. Jesus said it this way, your whitewashed tombs. Can you picture love incarnate saying you clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside? You realize how troublesome of a statement that is? Your religion looks shiny and inside is full of disease and bacteria and trouble. The actual good news is deeply satisfying to our inner being 
And then, and then our, our life is changed forever because of that. But this religion, if we even should call it that, when Christianity was first introduced to the world, they called them followers of the way, perhaps a exponentially better description. It is about the inside and the outside in that order. First, the Holy Spirit gives us a sense of our need for him. Not salvation, so eternally, but also day to day. Our need is 100%. We are not sick people in need of medicine. We are not people that need a little bit of religion. We're not people that need a little bit of guidance. Our need is 100%. Poor in spirit. When we realize that, we become people who mourn. This is not about suffering in general. That's not, there's a lot, the Bible says a lot about suffering in general. This is about learning. Our, th after we're poor in spirit, we learn to be sad that we are not better at showing love. That's the language we use around the house when we're discussing a movie. My nine-year-old will say, Dad, who's bad at showing love in Jurassic World? The Indominus Rex is bad at showing love in the world. <laughs> Follower of Jesus mourns because they realize they're not as good at showing love as they long to be in their individual life, in their family, in the institution such as this one. We are imperfect at showing love. It does not crush us. It already crushed him, but we notice it and we long to love well. Then we're grown by the Spirit in meekness. That strength extended gently. Then we grow to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We long to love God and others well. And then we are grown by the Holy Spirit in mercy. And I have no idea how interesting any of that was to you. Let me say it this way. Mercy is such sweet news because it is the antidote to something that plagues us every day, which is the suspicion that if we don't learn how to control our world and the people around us, we are going to be crushed. You know that tendency? The fear, and the fear is legitimate. And the tendencies are not because you're bad. The tendencies are because the world is a disorienting place and people hurt one another, sometimes on accident, sometimes on purpose, sometimes with intention, sometimes without intention. And what we think we have to do is become better at controlling our environment and controlling our people. That is why this is such sweet news that when we're born again, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus of Nazareth, what we receive is not only new life here and eternally, but a merciful way of being in the world instead of a way that hits back. That would not be merciful. Instead of a way that is constantly seeking to control. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, part of the, the later part of this sermon, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Make no mistake, the promises of God followed by the commands of God are designed for his glory and the good of neighbor and the most full, noble, healthy, flourishing, deeply satisfied version of you and me that's possible even in a broken world. What am I saying? Full humanity is the offer. Through it is such a strange thing to entrust oneself to God and what we receive back is the full version of ourself. 
sounds counterintuitive. That's why a lot of preachers, when they preach on the Beatitudes, say it's an upside-down kingdom that we receive. Because in acquiescing to God that he's God, that we're not, that our need for him is entire, that yes, we're not good at showing love, we receive back the flourishing, deeply satisfied version of ourselves. And you're like, where do you get flourishing and deeply satisfied? That's the word blessed here. It's not, I've been kind of lucky, and I believe God exists. That may or may not be true, but this, the word in Matthew chapter 5 for blessed is far deeper and more robust. And what it's describing is the internal and external life of a follower of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit grows us in mercy, which I'm offering to you as the antidote to your tendencies to control that are crushing your love for God and neighbor. Born out of legitimate fear, born out of legitimate anxiety, born out of a world that is very disorienting and violent and still very much in the presence of sin and sickness and death. The with God life is the invitation to and here the description of the life freed from the need to control everything into a life of mercy. You could probably plug some mercy into your life, right? Like you could go to the bank on Monday morning, depending on what time you have to get to work, maybe during your lunch hour, and you could get a five. And you could decide that you're going to give that five to someone that needs it. Right? You could plug mercy into your life. But what happens if you are not a merciful human inside of you and you plug mercy into your life? You're going to grow in resentment and condescension of that person that needs it. Right? Can we be honest about how we actually work? How our hearts and minds actually work? And the reason that I'm saying that is not because I don't want you to be generous with what you have. It's not because I don't want you to serve the people that you might walk by, especially if you work in Springfield or in Hartford, but because this is not a plug-in. It's not be poor in spirit. It's not be someone who mourns. It's not be someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. It's not be meek. It's not be merciful. It's trust Jesus with your heart and decisions, John chapter 3, verse 3, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and then lean into the Holy Spirit through prayer and worship and word and conversation with other followers of Jesus as he turns you into a merciful person. I think the sign that a follower of Jesus is merciful is internal even more than it's external. The difference between giving someone a five with condescension and resentment, perhaps, especially in New England, is even, it, we're not going to be able to tell from 50 yards away. We can't, I can't read them. I don't, maybe you can. I can't read their face. But a follower of Jesus internally did that because they know that person's made in the image of God. And they know that their need for God is the exact same as mine. There are other ways to extend mercy. This particular statement, this particular beautiful way of being in the world is like an umbrella that all sorts of other commands come into, such as turn the other cheek. This is a larger statement than turn the other cheek because that's extending love towards those that hit you. By the way, it's not weak. Have you ever seen someone turn the other cheek? I saw it once in college. I feel like every physical fight I've ever seen was either around people drinking or playing sports. Make of that what you will. But the uh, fight broke out between two guys and one of them punches the other one right here and the other guy goes, do you want to hit this side? And we were all like, whoa. It was such a strong move. 
There's a lot more to say about turn the other cheek, but what I want us to notice today is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy is an umbrella term about the with God life that other commands fall under. And you know what it sometimes looks like? It sometimes looks like we're enablers. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Blessed are the enablers, for they are pleasantly codependent. No. <laughs> but it will sometimes end up, we'll end up finding out later that our mercy to someone who was in need ended up not helping them as much as we were hoping. That's why the future promise of this particular beatitude is they shall receive mercy. Here's the reason when we choose love. The, the, and it's described all through Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 how we do this with our stuff, with our eyes, with our words, with our hands. When we do that, it's a mercy to other people. And it will sometimes not make sense to us. On, now. You have loved someone well and you have no idea that it was worth it. Right? You wonder, gosh, was that worth it? I was watching Mr. Holland's Opus the other day. I think it might be one of my favorite movies. I can't even tell. I'm watching it at the end of the movie. Have you seen it? Spoiler alert for a movie made 30 years ago. <laughs> at the, he's a teacher. At the end of it, his students have uh, put together the symphony he was always working on but was never able to finish because he was paying the bills as a teacher. And he, he starts leading the symphony of his students, and I start weeping. Because I wonder if the love that I have tried in my limited and very imperfect ways to show to my family, to this church, my other church, I wonder if it has mattered. You ever feel that way? You've extended love. You have believed in the promises of God. You have followed the commands of Jesus. And then you wonder, does it matter? That's my explanation of the second half of this, for they shall receive mercy. The future reward of Christianity isn't the incentive. It's way stronger than that. The future reward attached to the Beatitudes is our hope. We are fully trusting Christ that where we have followed him and we don't fully understand, we will eventually fully understand those moves of love. Have you ever been generous with your money and never known whether it had any effect? It's happened to me. Probably enabled a few people because I am predisposed to that, so I now ask a couple of good friends anytime I'm, I'm tempted to give to an organization or to an individual that I don't know very much about because I would just keep giving this. You can ask my I will just keep giving the money away, and it's not always healthy. Have you given money away and you wonder, did it have any effect? Have you been kind to someone that you didn't need to be kind to and you have no idea if it mattered to them? Has someone turned their back on your relationship and you have reached out to them repeatedly to see if there's something you could own or a way to reconcile and they've never responded and you wondered, did that matter? The reason it's so important to notice the rewards in the biblical language, I don't even like using the word reward because the grace of Jesus is free to us, and yet you cannot read the book of Matthew and especially the Sermon on the Mount without noticing the promise of the reward. And it's been so challenging to me and then so sweet 
you will receive mercy. Your story will be told right. All the sad that has happened to you will not only be explained, it will be redeemed. I can barely imagine that. I'm reading a book that's helping me imagine it, and I think the book is beautiful, and it's very readable, and I have to read it slow, because it is hard on my heart to imagine all of your pain and mine will not only be explained, but redeemed. The Christian is not merciful so that they will receive mercy. The Christian is merciful because they're a follower of Jesus and they no longer desire to control all the things around them and they're trusting the Lord that he makes of that what he will for his glory, the good of neighbor, and even our own good, the full humanity that he is drawing us into. It is worth it now and we will not fully understand it. And that is why it is future. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This doesn't mean that when someone is unkind to you, you don't say anything. This doesn't mean when, that when someone hurts you, you just roll over and take it. It's fine. One of the things I'm trying to not do when someone apologizes to me is say, it's okay. I could say maybe I'm okay, I forgive you, something like that. I don't know about you. Maybe you're great at not saying that. The difference is not that we're just like, okay, I'll just roll over and be hurt. The difference is how we respond. So we get the defensive comment, and we make the defensive comment in return. No, we get the defensive comment, and we say, you know, that was pretty hard for me. We talk more about that. That's the difference. It's not that we roll over. It's not that we become enablers. It's not that people are allowed to hurt us. That's not what I'm talking about. None of the Beatitudes encourage a lack of wisdom or a naivety about how the world actually works. But they 100% state that a beautiful way of being in the world is to be a follower of Christ and to then lean into the Spirit as it grows us in these ways. To be merciful to our children and to still parent them to be merciful to our parents and to still honor them, which is sure tricky for some of us. Sorry, Dad. Love you. He watches the live stream, so I don't want that to disorient him too much. To be merciful to our employees and our employers, though they're going to say things that are hard. If you work with someone 40 hours a week, they're going to say something unkind to you. And you don't have to roll over and take it, but the Holy Spirit is drawing you into a merciful response, a response they can actually hear. Your employer or your employee or your coworker. Flourishing are the merciful because they received, because they shall receive mercy. And they will live abundantly. Do you see it? Do you see what this is the alternative to? This is not the alternative to tough. This is the alternative to our tendencies to control. And your, I'm just going to say it all again. Your tendencies to control are not because you're crazy with respect to relationships. The jury might be out on forever. My counselor, anytime I say, so I'm not crazy, and he says, well, with respect to the thing we're talking about. 
keeps me grounded. Your tendencies to control are born out of legitimate pain. Your anxieties come from actual stories in your life and chemistry and spirituality. Your fear and shame are not made up. They're not fictional. And the Holy Spirit is drawing you into the with more deeply or perhaps for the first time into the with God life which is merciful and not controlling. Gives the benefit of the doubt and remembers that the other is made in the image of God. Remembers that you're made in the image of God. Do you know how to show mercy to yourself? Or do you have to whip yourself into shape every time you made a mistake? Follower of Jesus, you do not need to beat yourself up ever because the work of Jesus Christ is full and complete and we don't need to add to it. We have received that mercy and we shall receive the final mercy. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian with respect to mercy is why With God, life frees us from that condescension. It frees us from resentful giving of our time and our stuff and our gifts and frees us into flourishing life where we don't attempt to control everything, where we're merciful when and where we can because of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I hope that you see the beauty and the profound depth of this offer. We don't always see it because especially the Beatitudes, Jesus is teaching subtly because it's such profound news and so profoundly, transcendentally different than we would imagine. A religion of you can't do, but you can trust that it's been done for you and then be ushered into a flourishing life. My very, very favorite thing today about the gospel of Jesus is how it interprets my past and my present and my future and how it is such a present help. You can ask me about any situation in my life and I'm so thankful, even if the, the command is not, even if the promise and the command are not precisely true, I can still apply them to my life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christ like I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The reason that I hope that you're a follower of Jesus is because it's true. It's actually the first reason to trust Christ and the most profound and important one because he actually rose from the dead. Not because we feel like it or because we need religion in our life, because it actually happened, which means it's our hope. That's what he's talking about when he says, not only because I see it, because the sun exists, but because of the sun's existence, I see everything else. Do you see in this beautiful way of being in the world, merciful, that we are freed from our attempts to control God and neighbor and ourselves and freed, in, freed from that into the flourishing, deeply satisfied life? I hope that you do. The world will imply and state to you that your 
role is to give love so you can get love in the world. Probably the most intense time is when you're in high school, followed by junior high and then college in order. Those are the times that it's most intense. You, give, you get what you give. You give love so that you can receive love. What a horrific and terrifying life. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Something altogether different than that. It's not apples and oranges. It's apples and chairs different than that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and liking us for purchasing real life peace and joy for us on the cross and then proving that you did so when you rose from the dead. Lord, we are a mixed up bunch of fears and anger and shame. You draw us to freedom from that in Christ. Holy Spirit, help us to sense that freedom and live from it. Help us to experience the deep satisfaction that you promise in this verse. And to lean into it in every area of our life. Amen.